it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer, or this week, talk about Fat Yaks, Big Helgers and Barking Ducks, as we speak with Jamie Fox, who was CUB's marketing manager for craft a decade ago, as Australia's dominant brewer struggled to make sense of the emerging craft beer scene. I should say, the then emerging craft beer scene. I'm very conscious that some of these conversations, looking back on the early days of craft, can be a little Grandpa Simpson, more so than Pete and I normally are. But the craft scene has changed so much and evolved so rapidly that some of these conversations are very important to remind us of how we got here and just how far we have come in a short period of time. Also, judging by the feedback, you like them as well, which is great. As you'll pick up from the conversation, Jamie and I had a habit of butting heads a little bit back in the day, but I also hope you'll learn how much I learned from Jamie's hard-won insights into the beer industry and knowing what was possible to achieve in the world of big beer. It was fun to record some of his reflections on these times, and I hope you'll enjoy hearing the origin stories of some of the big and now-defunct beers from Matilda Bay. Jamie Fox, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much. Mate, this is a really, really long overdue chat. I'm, and Pete and I were talking about it the other day. To, to be to be fair, Matt, to be perfectly Francis, um, enough years has passed that because uh, it was possibly a time. It's not unfair to say that um, you know Foxy perhaps didn't want to speak to us. <laughs> if your if your email trail that you've uh, dug back into the archives to. <laughs> Uh, have a look at, is any indication? I, I, I was going to come to that. Um, I, I didn't think I'd, I didn't think I didn't want to speak to you. Just the legal team weren't available. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there, there were a few uh, tense exchanges or terse exchanges, but uh, we'll, we'll, we can possibly um, come to that. about the history department. You really need the, the, uh, the history department, not the legal department you need yeah, on your exactly. side when you're talking to Matt. Well, well let, let's get to that. But before we do, let's sort of just establish... Jamie Fox and who you are and how you came to have a career in beer. So, yeah, what's your background, Jamie? Um, yeah, mate, my uh, my background. I, I came to beer pretty late, actually. I uh, I sort of grew up in Adelaide and um, really for a long time wanted to get into the wine industry uh, over in Adelaide. As you know, it's pretty predominant. Um, sort of I really, really wanted to get some work in that. Um, grew up in sort of the eastern suburbs of Adelaide and, uh, you know, was pretty spoiled back in those days because there's Cooper's Brewery sort of wasn't too far from home and uh, got got to have, you know, sparkling ale and uh, the good good old Cooper's Pale is just sort of everyday regular beer. So um, back in those days, you set a pretty high benchmark for yourself in just what standard beer was. But uh, my aim initially was to get into the wine industry, but uh, I didn't go down that path. I ended up working for the old um, Hills Hoists, a great Australian company. Um, And I did a lot of work for Hills and uh, moved over to Melbourne in the, in the mid nineties and uh, worked for them. And uh, one thing came to another and I I saw a job one day for a a manager, sales manager at CUB. And I thought, well, I'll throw my hat in the ring there. It's close enough to wine. 
<laughs> maybe I can work in beer for a bit and then then transfer into into wine later on. But the the beer bug bit me uh, <laughs> when I when I when I uh, got on got on board with CUB back in about two thousand, um, and that was that was the journey and uh, discovered sort of uh, working for them, big beer, small beer, and all that sort of stuff. I've been stalking you on LinkedIn, and uh, 2000, you started as a key account executive, uh, according to LinkedIn. I don't see Hills Hoist uh, anywhere on the uh, on the LinkedIn profile. Oh, you know, when you're old enough, LinkedIn doesn't go back far enough. <laughs> so when you started at uh, CUB, you had a background in sales, but what mm. was it about um, beer that captured your you know uh, attention? Well, it was... The, it was thing that was just that everyone spoke about you know when you when you sort of said that you work for hills industries the conversation changed pretty quickly um so when you when you sort of got into beer it was uh it was a uh, good conversations and everyone wanted to know about it and how it worked and that was the big conversation piece and uh um people people and publicans were uh, always up for a chat um and it just suited my nature i think as sort of a pretty outgoing sort of person and uh, love to sort of value add to, to people's uh, conversations and people's businesses. So it was a pretty natural, natural start for me. And, you know, back in 2000, it was, um, it was, it was pretty much the big brands, the big brands and the big pubs were, were what it was all about. And uh, it was, it was, it was an easy transference to me to get into that sort of bigger area, I guess. It would have been a like a, an exciting time for beer in those days. You know, brands like VB would have been, you know, when they were hitting, you know, that twenty five percent of all beer in Australia was VB, and so you had the the, the budgets for the big ad type um, campaigns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's right. I mean, it would it would almost sell itself. Matt, you know, you'd, my, I remember my first boss. I would sort of say, well, I came from a pretty pretty rigorous cost background and look after costs and whatnot. And I came into a business and I said to my boss, "Look, what, what's my budget for my territory?" And he said, "Don't don't worry about it. Just just make sure everyone's happy." <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was that was pretty much the easy. The stuff would sell itself. So you were you were just making sure that uh, you know footy tickets were going to the right places and uh, tap badges were up and the. Uh, you know the the winner golf bag from Cascade was up on display in the bottle shop, so it was uh, it was uh, it was pretty big, but pretty easy back in those days for big brands. Tell us a little bit about you know the the, the landscape. You know this is before you moved into Matilda Bay, which uh, you know is, yeah. is one of the just you know, beer has an emotional appeal, and Matilda Bay is one of the brands that really resonates with me for a whole lot of reasons. But yeah, you know, so tell us about the, the the beer market in the early two thousands before you joined, you know, uh, Matilda Bay. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was pretty much the major brands. I remember when I first started, my my job was sort of working with uh, Heineken back in those days. That CUB sort of had some distribution rights, so I was doing sort of more of the premium brands. Uh, around the place, but it was certainly Carlton Draft, VB, uh, Crown Lager, um, you know, Cascade Premium. Those sort of brands were were the big brands. CUB also had uh, Bogues back in those days, so uh, it was a it was a house full of riches in so far as those big brands, um, and they they were they were the ones that were were just rocking and rolling. And as you said, I think. I think CUB at one stage had eighty or ninety percent of the market in Victoria. 
um, uh, through those through those bigger brands, and it was just a it was just a powerhouse. Um, and as you said, Matt, that I think the saying went back in the old days: uh, if it if it moves, sponsor it, and if it doesn't move, paint it. <laughs> Stick a logo on it. Yeah. Hey, Foxy, yes, exactly. um, most people, I guess, uh, listening to Bruce News now would know you from um, through Matilda Bay. How did that come about? And talk us through, I guess, what where, where was Matilda Bay? at at the time that um that you got involved yeah um was was basically just a, a very when i started it was just basically uh um red back beer had sort of existed for a little bit um i think some of the uh some of the uh, directors of cub uh bought into a little company up in queensland uh, called the masthead brewery um and 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 that had a a great little product called uh Bees Knees, uh, and I think Bohemian Pilsner at one stage, and they were just a couple of brands that were uh, sort of ticking along. They're in the in the price list, but uh, Jamie Cook, who'd, who'd be well known to to all of your listeners, sort of got a proposal, I guess, to our senior management to um, to re rejig what we had in the portfolio, which was really great little range of craft beers, and I think the the uh, malt shovel guys had uh, got up and running in New South Wales uh, through through Chuck and doing some different things there, and the um, the guys that sold Matilda Bay, Phil, etc., had sort of got little creatures underway in its very early forms back in those days. So Jamie uh, Jamie sort of put a proposal to the management of CUB is we've we've got we've got the original and we've got some really great stuff here. Let's pull it all together. So started a little business unit of uh, Matilda Bay Brewing Company. Um, and I I was uh, doing sort of uh, doing really well in, in my sort of key account area. And um, the the job came up on the internal radar. And uh, I'd always been one to sort of take a bit of a left turn in my career. And rather than going down the well-trodden path of, you know, you do this management role, you go to that management role, I I took a left turn and uh, loved the opportunity, loved what Jamie was sort of proposing there. And uh, and it was really interesting because I remember back in the day going to the, the Redback Brewery uh, in North Melbourne there. Pete, you might remember that one. And, yeah, very uh, much so. It was pro- probably the, the original sort of craft brewery over in Melbourne. And it was, you know, a big, big, big Redback, uh, half of ice and served in the glass with a slice of lemon in its own glass. And it was real theatre. It wasn't just a tap badge and uh, sponsoring the Melbourne Cup. It was all about the beer and it really caught my imagination. So I applied for the job and uh, got the job as sort of the Vic Vic Taz SA, I guess, um, um, dog's body. For, for Matilda Bay, and that that's where my real my real love and my real journey, as I consider it, kicked off. Foxy, tell us about you know at that stage, um, craft beer was fairly young, so you know we, we really wanted to zero in around the time that a beer like Fat Yak, which I think was one of you know, the, the beer that really changed Matilda Bay, which came out around two thousand and eight. But what was the craft beer scene like in that mid two thousands from from your point of view? Yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was pretty much um, it was pretty much you'd always grab the spare tap, um, you know, in in the CUB business. So there was uh, things like Coopers, Coopers, which uh, back in those days I think people were loosely termed as a as a craft or a boutique beer in a bigger range. 
was out and about and uh uh we we had the the red back uh we had the the bee's knees the sort of the honey mead mead beer um but but back in those days it was uh, it was very specialized there was, there was very few pubs that were willing to take it on board and have a real crack at it um the uh they were mainly food pubs and and restaurants um there were a couple of little independent pubs that were were wanting to get involved in it but it was very very specialized and uh um it was mainly mainly sort of marketed through doing beer and food matching dinners uh doing doing talks and educational so a lot a lot of it was based about almost almost hand selling in uh beer and then then doing beer shouts and selling that into their customers so it was tap by tap um pretty pretty hard slog to be honest you'd you'd have to convince the publican and then you have to convince his customers keg by keg tap by tap uh back in those days and there wasn't there wasn't a lot of it around um to be honest um it was back in the days probably where most of the attention in the beer market was uh, from a premium point of view was on heinekens and coronas so you had to really work hard for for every tap point um even though cub owned it internally um you had to really work at uh motivating the public and motivating the bottle shop and motivating the uh the consumers even to to pick it up and have a go at it and uh i remember doing a lot of beer tastings around town to to some some old bolted on sort of uh draft drinkers and you'd, you'd get the uh you'd get the sort of half drink and half drunk sort of pots left on the table and a lot of people would say oh, i don't think uh, vb's got anything to worry about um <laughs> the time time generally changed and uh, and we got there in the end but it, it, it's funny that you say that because i one of the things that i distinctly remember a conversation that uh, and we, you know we, we sort of always got on but had some fairly tense conversations as pete <laughs> or, no not tense but you know we certainly had varying points of view right, and, but, uh, i, I remember worry, Bob, you're not robinson crusoe there <laughs> <laughs> but um I, I very distinctly have a remember having a conversation with you where you were explaining to me that cub has what you called big hands and mm. that was a an expression that really resonated with me and i've used it you know, multiple mm. times since then and w- mm. w- with the same impact that it had on me and I you know, even recently had a conversation with um, some uh, people in line and I always attribute you um, with as being the sort of this concept coming for you but explain if you can if you can remember it you know what you mm. meant by you know CUB had big hands when you were playing with a uh, brand like Matilda Bay. Yeah, and I, and I, I guess it, I guess it's why sort of Jamie Jamie's sort of um, genius, I guess, in starting up Matilda Bay internally was CUB is uh, is and was a company that's brand driven, uh, and they're all about uh, um, you know uh, plug it in, advertise it, sponsor it, um, get millions of pubs on board, and and it flows through, and and small bespoke little brands. And beers sort of just didn't fit that model, um, uh, where you had to hand sell uh, keg by keg, as I was talking about before. Uh, they're a big company with big budgets, but they didn't really have the capability to uh, sell a small batch or small portfolios of things. So the big the big hands comes from the you know they they capture everything, but the little little bits and pieces sort of slip through the fingers. Um, so that that that's why. 
that's why as a business uh, we needed to set up a smaller team. And I think I think re- I remember Jamie giving us all a book. It was called uh, The Pirate on the Inside. Um, and the 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 the, the eth- ethos of the book was basically that uh, you know the pirates. Pirates are the same as the Navy. The Navy is very organised. It's very structured. It's got routines. Uh, it's got procedures and it's got systems. Uh, pirates pirates are the same. They can still sail a boat from A to B and they've got a loose confederacy of sort of hierarchy there, but they do things their own way and they get things done. They get things done differently, but uh, they do it under their own steam. And that, that really hit with me uh, that we were the pirates on the inside of TUB creating a movement and creating some change uh, over time. And as I said, with the big hands, CUB couldn't handle the smaller things. And and I guess that was probably the core of my frustration um, before understanding that idea was that, you know, I saw the size of um, business like CUB that had this um, storied and revered brand within inside it and had the resources to, uh, to, um, you know, really contribute to lifting the tide, but it seemed to really be responding after the the, the market as opposed to driving the market. Was I mean, was was that a fair comment? I, I think one of your um, successors or a CB successor talked about uh, pulling the oar that moves the boat, which is pretty much what a, a CUB was doing. Mm. Yeah, and I, I guess I guess in the early days, I, I feel that the the CUB team there with Brad and and Jamie and Ross and and uh, and others, uh, we really we really did have it in front of us. Um, but I, over time, I guess as it gets bigger, the big hands start start to take a closer look at it and start to get more involved in it and start to want more have have more control over it. So, in in a lot of ways, that that. The, the small Matilda Bay business and the small craft businesses in CUB sort of got varying amounts of attention and varying amounts of control over time, which really, really sort of hampered what they had in their back pocket was, was uh, you know, a, a, a great heritage and a great portfolio of brands. But it was it was uh, it was hard over the years to sort of get ahead of the game. You know, and as, as craft beer grew up, you you always felt like the 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 kid in the schoolyard with all you know the the flash cricket kid or the flash soccer boots, um, <laughs> but but you, you you never really were on the inside, you know. <laughs> hey Foxy, it, you made a couple of interesting points there, and it's it's fairly I guess commonly accepted that CB has has never been great specifically with Matilda Bay at nurturing that and I guess giving it its best shot, but. Then you also touch on um, the the public and or the public's acceptance of you know what we used to call you know microbrewery beer or boutique beer or craft. Um, jumping forward with the focus that we now have on local, do you think that that would have been an easier sell back then to convince? Because why did why did we see Heineken, even that was brewed in Abbotsford? We you know that cultural cringe kind of thing. We saw that as it must be better than something that we make here. Whereas now we've kind of flipped the other way as why would I get something that's either been imported and it's got food miles on it, you know, drinking local. Um, How do you think that would have gone? I think it would have been uh, easier for people. I think that if if I bring myself back to those times, there was a real resurgence in in sort of uh, smaller made things, you know, uh, 
the bakeries were doing artisan bread, uh, cheese companies were doing artisan cheeses. You know, it, it wasn't enough to go and get a block of coon or cracker barrel. You had to get, uh, uh, you know, boutique cheeses. And it was in that stage where where craft beer rode that wave initially. It sort of, sort of, it was more about artisanship than locality in my mind. Um, I think that if if locality back then was as important as it is now, CUB or Matilda Bay would have found it tough because it just didn't have a home. It had moved. It had moved a couple of times. Um, so I, I think it would have been tougher tougher back then from what locality means as to to what it does now. And mate, Fat Yak was probably, I guess, the brand. You know, the rusted on aficionados of of the Matilda Bay portfolio will always mention Redback. They'll always mention Alpha Pale Ale. Um, to uh, later on, perhaps you know um, Sebastian and um, uh, Kramer, those sorts mm. of beers, as sort of you know inspiring and groundbreaking and all that sort of thing. But Fat Gak was really the it was it just plotted it was ten overs none for forty. It was mm. line and length uh, American style pale ale. That just seemed to um, be the right beer at the right time. Talk, talk us through yeah. how that came about. Yeah, so Fat Yak was Fat Yak was a, a a project that had gone on for for a little while internally. Um, um, it was it was basically the it was called Project Little Alpha, <laughs> so it was always designed around Alpha Pale Ale, um, but a, but a, a a more drinkable version of Alpha Pale Ale, I guess. Um, whereas in it had all those cues, you know, with it, 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 its colour base with a little bit of crystal in it. Uh, certainly, certainly those sort of uh, Northwest American hops in it, but with a, a lower BU, uh, a lower BU, a more moderate base, and uh, that sort of was the the, the basis of the, the the liquid, I guess. The name itself was one of those things that uh, you know you just sort of you just sort of bump along. There was a team team that was working on uh, you know what do we call this thing and and where does it come from and uh, uh, it was just like you said it was just one of those magic moments where the the right beer at the right time with the right branding around it sort of uh, sort of hit its mark and it was it was done in a way that I don't think CUB would do a beer again that it was uh, it was pretty much you know launched launched in Melbourne um, we sort of launched it to 15 or 20 pubs on tap. Um, I'd sort of go into the pub and, you know, say, how did it go? And they said, look, we did half a keg uh, uh, this week. And I said, well, look, you'd probably want another keg. Uh, <laughs> that's the, yeah, okay. And then I'd go back to the sales team and say, oh, they did two, they've ordered two kegs this week. And they'd go, oh, geez, that's, that's pretty good. Um, you know, so, so you'd start an internal snowball on it. Uh, uh, and it and it just sort of went from there, um, pub by pub, um, nurturing it, um, getting out to the publicans with the brew team, uh, hand delivering kegs in the early days, uh, and then then it just then it just rolled on, and we sort of uh, we sort of because we'd only brewed a little bit, there was a bit of um, what we call supply tension, so you couldn't <laughs> supply everybody. Um, and, and publicans were saying, well, look, I've got to have it. Uh, and I, I remember there were even some conversations where some publicans would say, look, if I, if I can't get it, I'll switch over to Lion or I'll, 
I'll drop that contract. So it sort of uh, got on its wheels really quickly. Um, Fat yak. Foxy, I'm just looking back at the uh, the IP Australia website and having a look in around about the same time, there was a uh, trademark called Easy Tig that had been yep. uh, Easy Tiger uh, applied for. Um, yep. There was Fat Yak. There was Oink. Were they yep. all uh, working you know, or titles under consideration for Fat Yak? Uh, uh, Easy Tiger was. Um, there's a guy that was the marketing manager then, um, Matt. Matt Salter, uh, who's left beer, uh, but but Matt and the team and we were all looking at different names. Oink was actually uh, Oink was actually not for um, Fat Yak, but uh, certainly Easy Tiger was. But uh, Easy well, Tiger. Well, hang on, didn't hang on, up. Foxy, don't leave us hanging. Yeah, what was well, Oink going to be? What was Oink going to be? Uh, crackling, crackling flavored beer or <laughs> beer that goes well with pork? What? Uh, uh, no, Oink was going to be enough uh, Hefeweizen. But it was uh, it didn't it didn't get off the ground, um, but the uh, Easy Tiger got knocked back because of Tiger beer. Ah, right. Okay. In so... Australia, so we weren't we weren't uh, we weren't allowed to use uh, use that trademark. But there were there were lots of different names floating around for a a, a, a rejigged portfolio uh, back in the day. How much do you reckon the name, like it, it was the right beer, you know, Alpha Pale Ale was a, a gold medal winning beer and it was the, like the, the gold standard for Pale Ale, uh, American style Pale Ale at that time. But mm. um, bitterness is obviously an impediment to mainstream pickup of, you know, any form of beer. Um, and so the, the beer itself was obviously the right beer for the market. But how important do you reckon the name Fat Yak was? in terms of setting a brand appeal? Pretty big. I mean, it was, uh, it, I, I think we when we looked at the beer, basically it was, um, we were sort of talking about that it was, it was still a big hairy beer. What we wanted to brew was a beer that was still, still challenging, um, particularly for regular beer drinkers, but uh, it had some sessionability to it. So, you know, the, the, the name, the name was really around, uh, you know, it was a big, big hairy beer that it was still approachable and, we sort of went through through sort of different naming conventions of what's big, hairy, and approachable. And for some reason, yaks, yaks, and uh, mountain goats, and all that sort of stuff came to life. We couldn't go in the mountain goat direction, but yaks came to life, and it sort of it sort of took a direction all of its own. Um, and and I, I think I think that uh, that that was a big part of it. And then when the design. You know, with the horns, uh, that was pretty simple from a design point of view. When you look at the the image of the silhouette of the yak, uh, just the face with the horns uh, came on came onto it. It just sort of all clicked together really beautifully. So, do do you think it was an important part of getting cut through, or you know, do, do, if you'd gone with Easy Tig, do you think you might have had the same um, cut through? No, I don't think so. I think the the imagery of the yak. Um, with the, the, the bull horns there, and I think it was on a on either a rusted rusted metal background or a, a, a weathered wood background. It just sort of just sort of cut through um, the, the the shape the shape the colours the colour palette that we used on it, and uh, the fat yak is just intriguing. It was just sort of one of those things in craft beer that people you know I don't know if you guys have seen that craft beer name generator. Where you, you you just type no, in something. Have to check it out. Yeah, check it out. There's craft beer name generators that just just come up with weird and wonderful names. And 
this is almost like it come out of one of those, but it was based on on what was in the bottle, um, really. But I, I think Fat Yak, Fat Yak was just one of those things that had, had uh, it had recall. Uh, it was very individual. Um, it was unique, uh, and it fitted what the beer was about. Matt and I have certainly discovered uh, the value of the name of a beer when we first started um, our craft beer alley, what's now craft beer alley, at the at the Eka, and we had Hop Hog on. And the number of people who would come up and go, oh, yeah, I'll have one of them Hop Dogs or, you know, like, <laughs> based, mate, you know, it's a 5.8% India Pale Ale. Right, just, give, yeah. just give us one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, so it, it was a, it was a way of look either turn them off that one and go okay what do you got that's a little bit less or mm. just you know them accidentally discovering something something brand new so having established mm. that the name was so important um and matt and i often muse that uh, whenever we're talking to mick john teff about any beer brewed before say 1894 empire lager or something like that M- mick will say he's you know had a hand in in developing the <laughs> the recipe for <laughs> Who came up with the name Fat Yak? Uh, it was uh, early, it was the team that was uh, Matt Salter, who was the brand manager uh, back in those days, and a guy called Andrew Dunn. Uh, they were looking after Matilda Bay. Uh, I was looking after uh, basically the, the the sales the sales team in Matilda Bay. So we'd all work closely together, um, but it, originally it was uh, it was those guys. Excellent. That's good that we just for that because there'll be people wondering. And and who developed the recipe? Because I think Scotty Vincent was the head brewer by that stage. Yep. So uh, yep, Scotty Vincent. Uh, Scotty Vincent was a big part of developing uh, developing that beer, and uh, obviously you know uh, uh, Mick and Claude and that that development team uh, had some input into it as well. Um, so it was, uh, but pri- primarily through through Scott and the and the and the team. As I said, I was going through my, my emails um, just to find out, you know, establishing my mind the history of it, and it seemed to have been floating around a little bit before it was formally launched. It was originally it was on tap, so it was on tap only. Oh, I'm pulling up my memory strings now. It was on tap only for, I would say, the first six to ten months of its life. Um. And it was uh, it was sort of Melbourne based, and then it moved up the east coast slowly uh, over to WA as well. Um, so it was it was uh, only available on tap for a little while, and then there was a a, a package launch of it, um, which came came after after that, uh, and that's that's when the brand really really hit its skids. Uh, it really 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 took off then. Because I, th- I think it was then around about 2011 that Big Helga came out, and yep. that was when obviously Matilda Bay had the, the success of Fat Yak had given a bit of sail uh, wind in the sails of Matilda Bay because that was uh, you know, a much bigger launch down at the Dandenong Brewery. Uh, we had Big Helga there, and we'll talk about that story in a second. Uh, <laughs> things like that, but w- was that a case of well, we've got this one beer that has really taken off, um, we, we've got a little, you know, we, we, if we put a bit more resources behind it, talk, you know, talk us through the, the development and launch of um, Big Helga. Basically, uh, the guys, the marketing guys uh, moved along and I actually, I actually got offered the job to take over the, 
to, to take over Matilda Bay, um, basically when Fat Yak launched in kegs. Um, so we, we'd, we'd had this under our belt and uh, we were working a lot in the background uh, to, to pull Matilda Bay together again. Um, there was still Redback uh, getting around, Bees Knees was getting around. We had what we called the Brewers Reserve, uh, which was Alpha and Dog Bolter. And then, then we had Fat Yak, and 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 as happens in in companies with big hands, um, you suddenly hear this: uh, "Do it again, do it again. Let's have another <laughs> one. Give us another one." No that resting on your laurels. No, do it again. <laughs> and uh, so there was a there was a need to sort of really establish a portfolio. Certainly, um, James Squire were, were out there with a a, a really aggressive portfolio. Um, so there was a, a commercial corporate need to really come up, uh, front up against James Squire and the emerging little creatures, uh, and also internally was to round out our portfolio. Um, and and my my uh, my job I saw it was to make sure that we had a well-rounded uh, and credentialed portfolio of beers, not just a portfolio of brands, uh, and that was forever my my challenge internally there but uh big helga was uh was actually um you know apart from some of those you mentioned before with the, you know barking duck and crema and even stickler's bitter back in the day big helga was one of those uh one of those beers that i was really keen to get out um with as a hellas lager that no one had really had a crack crack at it was a a, a really good sort of segue beer for for the uh you know the the stellar drinker or the or the the uh, crown drinker to come over to. We were we were on a mission to sort of round out our our portfolio. I remember again uh, very distinctly having a chat with you um, after the launch. We were at the uh, tap house in St Kilda, and um, just talking through, and there was almost a note of apology to. A beer geek, you know, when you were speaking to me, there was almost that note of apology to a beer geek that you're making a lager um, because it was so far ahead of its time. And, you know, lager is starting to come back into vogue now. But mm. there, there, were, there was such an insight there that lager was on the nose for craft beer. Everything was a pale ale um, at that stage. Mm. But yeah. what was it a hard decision to make a lager? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, as you said, it was all about pale hours. So it was, you know, give, give me a list of pale hours. It wasn't even a conversation around beer uh, back in those days. And I think even even with all of the communications and uh, education we did, it was all about Hellas. We were calling it a Hellas uh, rather than a Hellas lager. So we were almost avoiding the word lager uh, at, at, at all costs um, back in those days. Um uh, so it was it was a decision it was a decision to round out a portfolio um, a, as such. Um, but I, I glad, I'm glad you think it was uh, it had foresight, Matt, because I thought it did too. It's one of the things that I've noticed about CUB over and over and over again in over the course of my career that you know you, you look at the um, four season range that Cascade had in mm-hmm. the uh, sort of early to mid. Uh, 2000s, then First Harvest, which was, I still think, one of the uh, very early fresh hop um, ales. Uh, you know, more approachable pale ales than, than a lager. Um, and you know, even the, the barrel ageing for a beer like uh, Crown Ambassador Reserve. 
sometimes I wonder whether the, the insights are better than the execution. Helga seemed to be a beer that because it didn't take off so quickly, it wasn't persisted with and, you know, CUB has a habit of eating its young. Mm-hmm. No, no, you did right there, mate. It was, uh, it was, uh, it, 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 it had, uh, it had a short lifespan insofar as uh, uh, it, it, didn't meet it didn't meet the expectations that the, the company had on it which was fat yak you know do another fat yak um, so they they uh, they do they do have short lifespans uh, in in larger breweries and it's that big hands mentality again but I do through. remember that it was and I, I think um, you you even sort of uh, commented or sort of uh, just responded to a post that I did recently where um, I, I, just on the, on the Facebook group or the or the Facebook page, where my recollection was that it was starting to get some tap points and starting to get out there, and then you know in in 2010, 2011, that was when uh, CUB under the uh, Pure Blonde they brought out a, a wit beer inspired uh, beer, and then Line brought out one. And as you said at the start of this interview, you know, you own the tap points to, to some extent, mm. but then internally there's fights for what goes on the tap point. Um, mm. And I remember someone saying that Helga was a victim of that just as it was starting to get some pull through. Yeah. It was taken off and replaced by um, the pure blonde white. Is that uh, is that your recollection? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was... Uh... Uh, whilst whilst CUB had a, a a huge portfolio of uh, contracted customers out there, there was also a growing number of brands and uh, beers that were coming out at the same time through through Matilda Bay, through different innovations with with Pure Blonde and 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 ciders and all that sort of stuff. So every tap point was sort of um, was sort of valued, uh, and and brands were. Brands were getting some, um, you know, jealousy, or uh, you know, there was there was uh, conversations about, uh, you know, that uh, we were we Matilda Bay was taking some of the brand uh, brand tap points through our brand of uh, other bigger brands internally, and and how should we prioritise those and split those up, um, and then with new innovations coming on, so it 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 didn't stick quick enough, uh, and therefore it got swallowed up. It sounds like a real challenge, you know, for, for any business that, that, that's large, you know, trying to work out because, you know, most venues will only have 8, 12 um, tap points. And yet if you've got 20, uh, 26 beers and then you're launching some, how do you, you know, how does it get resolved internally? Yeah, well, it's just who shouts loudest <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, who's, got a, who's got a bigger budget and who shouts loudest? Um you know, CUB, uh, CUB's, uh, as I said, has got a, a lot of tap contracts out there, and you know, I, I even I even went to the stage of using some of some of uh, some some of our internal spend to get some taps to split lines so that we could fit extra extra brands on, um, because because the publicans uh, and and the and the consumers certainly wanted a lot more beers, so. Uh, um, but it was internally, it was always uh, a shifting sands, uh, guys, about about prioritisation and about uh, what we're going to focus on uh, this month. That uh, it really is, it really became a, a, a big FMCG company with uh, 
you know, uh, drive periods and uh, prioritization matrices and uh, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. And uh, planograms. Well, and... We often, particularly in the big house, we speak of the liquid or share of throat and all those other sort of terms. <laughs> but in the real world, I think yeah. what really resonates with people are the stories behind beer. And, and Matilda Bay, um, obviously, you know, has great story behind it. When I think of Big Helga, I don't think of shower beers. I think of tram beers. <laughs> Talk us through the story of how did. How was Big Helga discovered? Uh, so Big Helga, the, the woman? woman? Form. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, 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 the lady who launched the beer. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, we, we sort of, we sort of uh, because it was a Helles Lager, we had that sort of, um, you know, uh, Munich, Munich beer maiden um, uh, imagery around the product and uh, to, to bring that life so so that people had a had an image in their head of what they were going to get. It's sort of an Oktoberfest beer. Um, and I was on a tram in Melbourne one day, just just going along, and I I saw this I saw this woman, big tall Amazon blonde in pigtail woman um, on the tram, and um, I sort of had a weird Hollywood producer moment <laughs> <laughs> where I sort of went up to her and said, uh, you know, like I'm uh, I'm a big 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 dog in the brewing world, babe. Um, <laughs> are you interested in uh, in uh, working on a product launch? You know what do you do? And uh, and uh, she jumped at the she jumped at the opportunity. So we sort of uh, brought her into a sort of introduced her to our launch agency, and uh, which was Liquid Ideas uh, back in those days. Um, and uh, they just sort of ran with it. And uh, next thing I know, next next time I see her. Uh, She's all dressed up in the the uh, German uh, the German beer wench outfit um, at product launches and stuff like that, and and uh, she absolutely owned it. But it was yeah, it was one of those weird sort of Hollywood producer moments for me. But she was <laughs> Lithuanian. I'm, I'm trying to because <laughs> yes, yes, she was. She was Lithuanian, um, and and uh, she was an art student. Uh, she was Lithuanian, and uh, she just inhabited the uh, the character. To the nth degree, probably over the top at the end of the day at some of those launches. It was it, it was very much she owned it because and it was her her um starring moment because I remember Rory Gibson and I were both there at the launch and uh, you know once she realised that we were journalists she was wanted to and there's a photo of me backed up against a wall as she was uh, <laughs> speaking because she was a, a very intimidating uh, personality. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I actually, I actually, uh, I actually saw her uh, in Peran or South Yarra recently, and uh, she hasn't changed a bit. She's she's certainly an individual character, but she was she was great. She injected a lot of love and life, and I, it, it just sort of took me back to those see, those Matilda Bay launches that we used to do down in the you know the garage in uh, in Dandenong there. Where, where we'd we'd, we'd have uh, all of our all well, of Stu our Gregor was a a real character to be launching those at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And we'd we'd had those, and 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 Fat Yak, we we did a similar thing. And Big Big Helga really brought to life Big Helga. There's no doubt about that. She was hilarious. <laughs> Funnily enough, when you said you. Uh, didn't want to call it um, like a, a lager, so you called it a Hellas. And, uh, you know, even in those days, very few people would have known what a Hellas was. Um, but I, I think I tweeted recently, um, you know, 
15, 20 years ago, every brewer was inspired by their trip to Belgium where they tried beers that didn't use, you know, that used funky yeasts and non-traditional mm. ingredients. And, you know, then it was, you know, visiting the hop fields um, and throwing lots of hops in. These yeah. days, I, I, I can't count how many brewers have sort of said, oh, yeah, I'm really influenced and inspired at the moment by a trip to Bel- to Munich where I had a Hellas. And you're going... <laughs> <laughs> how how much has the circle turned? The, the wheel yeah, turned. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I I think at the end of the day, you know, having have in a portfolio of as a brewer, but in a portfolio as a drinker, you want to have beers for different occasions. And I just thought Hellas, particularly in our Australian climate, just fitted that so well. <laughs> Mate, just one before we um we we move on from the Matilda Bay uh, launches. Um, one of the testiest exchanges that we had uh, was when I was sort of uh, probing you. I because I always used to keep an eye on the uh, trademark, and I saw that the uh, words Lagerita had been um, trademarked. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I, my my email to you was, "You can't be serious." And uh, yeah, uh, you, it, it never was launched and you never uh, revealed what was planned under the Lagerita uh, name, but what was the thinking at that stage? Like, I, the thinking was, how does he find this shit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the beer. <laughs> I turned around, is he, is he there? <laughs> um, no, no, it was, uh, it was a portfolio of beers that were particularly matched to, um, to foods. Um, so there was sort of a, you know, a, 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 a almost a sort of a, a the brewer's a, bite range. Then, a, yeah, exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. So it was under brewer's bite. So it was meant to be for, you know, Mexican food, and there was an Italian inspired one and an Indian inspired one, and so it was it was done under that that regime. But it was one of those projects that's uh, that's that's the Mexican. The, in, okay, in there the we dusting. go. That was where you also. Uh... I'm looking at it now, so I can sort of see the uh, the, the, the Mexican. And I just remembered. I just I just remembered the uh, Oink was a Rausch beer. Ah, right. Uh, there you go. Okay, the yeah. connection. So, yeah. So, so thank God we didn't. We went with Fat Yak <laughs> and not Oink. <laughs> Back in the day. Now, moving on. You know, you you, you left um, CUB in the mid-2014s to spend some time with Anheuser-Busch. But looking at, you know, that was just as, um, or a couple of years before CUB started buying up the brands that they've got now. Um, yeah. When you look at the challenge you had getting tap points then, um, you know, standing outside of the business now, how do you feel looking at, you know, the the internal sales teams uh, to some extent competing against, you know, uh, Bolter, Pirate Life, Four Pines, um, sales reps who are on the same team, but then not. Mm. Mm. W- w- would you want to be uh, sort of working in that sort of environment? Uh, no, Look, no is the answer. I, th- I think going through the 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 end of end of my time at CUB, it was all about you know do another fat yak, do it again, do it again, and you know that was that was really wanting me to do you know mini yak and skinny yak and hairy yak and whatever yak and which is pretty much I what of, they've gone with now, which, isn't it? which they went with at the end of the day and i i was i was sort of always of the opinion that that you know as a brewer you have a portfolio of beers you don't have a portfolio of brands 
and uh, you know that the, my argument back was you know there's not a hundred and there's not a a, a two twenty lashes and there's not a one hundred and eight lashes there's <laughs> one fifty lashes and that's what they've gone with and they move along um, you know and 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 other brewers other brewers don't do that but they're 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 a brand driven company so so they wanted to go down that track um, eventually eventually the 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 uh, with Anheuser Busch taking them over, it was it was really about you know well we we can't really do this with our own stuff. We've got to buy other people's brands, and with that comes other sales teams. Um, I think for clarity for clarity of purpose and for clarity of messaging, I, I prefer to have have what we had uh, uh, is is everyone singing from the same hymn sheet, I guess. Um, rather than this uh, scattergun approach that they've got now. But, you know, well, whatever works for them. But I guess that's the thing. They've got a whole lot of businesses that have got, I guess, smaller hands that they're hoping they'll grow into one day. Yeah. I mean, their challenge internally now is, you know, keeping Carlton draft taps and uh, uh, keeping keeping sort of Great Northern taps because uh, – because of the predominance of, uh, of of the rest of their portfolio, which is an interesting flip around now, um, but yeah, the, the 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 strategy of buying stuff up and getting smaller and more granular uh, is the direction they've taken in the end. Which is good luck to them. Well, mate, moving on from from your time at Matilda Bay, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're up to now. Basically, uh, basically, when I finished up, uh, did a, did a couple of years with uh, AB and then obviously they took over CUB and I just wasn't really thrilled about walking back in the door. Um, I'd sort of, and I'd sort of lost a lot of energy for, 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 for working in big beer. Um, I'd, I'd enjoyed, I'd enjoyed what I'd done and what I'd achieved. And um, I always wanted to do my own thing. Um, um, and I'd, I'd sort of got to stage in my life where my wife and I had a good, good talk to each other one day and um, she was working in corporate finance at a at a sort of a merchant bank and I was doing what I was doing traveling a lot and doing all that and we just decided that we wanted to take our own directions uh, in life so she left she left her job and uh, started a little fresh pasta company around the corner where we live Um, and I I um, Got on board with Nita, who I'd been mates with for a long time, and actually that's David uh, Neitz, obviously. Da- uh, David Neitz, sorry, yep. Yeah, yeah uh, we'll, we'll link to the uh, podcast that we did uh, with David uh, a couple of years ago now. Yep, uh, and uh, basically got 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 on got on board with with uh, founding Brumanity with Nita and getting on board in that, investing into that, and uh, working on that, which which is what I've been doing over the last little while, and it's. Uh, it's been a fantastic journey. Um, learned a lot, um, experienced a lot, um, understood understood people a whole lot better, and it's been a it's been a great time. But that's what I've been up to over the last few years with Brumanity. So, talk us through Brumanity. Just remind us, uh, and because we'll, as I said, we'll link to our chat with David, where he's sort of talked a little bit about the background to it. Um, yep. But tell us a little bit about what you've, uh, you know, what that's achieved. Yeah, sure. So, so we've uh, we've basically uh, um, I don't know what term to use anymore, but whether it's gypsy or contract or or travelling, but uh, 
we uh, we brew we brew a, a a great little portfolio of beers. We got our our social beast pale ale, which was our original brew. Um, we've uh, gone full full circle on my Helga and Lager uh, journey with uh, launching Tango and Splash uh, about eighteen months ago now. Um, and we've 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 uh, we've got a great little distribution through primarily through Victoria, but uh, up through the east coast and over in WA now through independent uh, independent retailers. Um, and we've we've uh, we've got uh, a couple of other sort of um, seasonals that we've done over the journey. We've done an an ice bock. Uh, we've done a sour yuzu sour. We did an oyster stout called What the Shuck. <laughs> a little while ago, um, we did a Berliner Weiss. So we play around where we can with with all the beers that we've wanted to do over the past. Um, we've got uh, a little a little grandfather kit um, in my garage that we David and I develop our beers uh, in. That uh, we get we get Mick Mick John Teff on board to to help us take it from a, a grandfather kit to a to a bigger brewery and. Um, uh, and then we go to those bigger breweries and bother those guys for the day uh, when we're brewing and and uh, um, get involved as much as we can. So it's a, it's 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 been a great journey. And uh, along with that, I guess what really fulfills me is what we do for Fight MND and for Neil Denner here as well. Because beer beer for a cause is one of the things that we've started to see, um, you know become a a bit of a thing in the industry and uh, brumanity was one of one of was one of the early ones there seems to be this mindset that oh, you know everyone's drinking beer these days we can jump in and you know use as part of our narrative raising money for a cause but it's not as easy as you know people might think to to actually make beer sell it and raise money is it no no, you, you you quickly learn that there's there's not a lot of money to make, let alone give away, um, and 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 I think also Matt and Pete, there's a there's a sort of a mindset that goes, you know, well that that's that's great. I've I've given given I gave at the office. I don't need to do that again, um, you know. So so uh, we we wanted to make sure that what we were doing, our, one of our our platform really is good beer and good deeds. So what we want to do is is make is make really good beer that just stands up on its own two feet anyhow, but um, uh, in the in the background is we're doing what we do and what we're passionate about, which is helping a mate, uh, Neil Denner, with his with his fight for MND, uh, and go along in the background. So it's 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 not easy it's not easy to sort of uh, have the the beer and the charity aspect going, but uh, I think we've managed to nail it so far and. The fact that we're, you know, we've been around since sort of 2015, 2016, um, got ourselves to selling beer around the country is, is probably testament to to how we do what we do. I think, Foxy. Before we uh, we, we let you go, it'd be a shame to have somebody with your uh, beer marketing experience, your brand experience, you know, particularly over the last 20 years of the modern craft beer renaissance, to uh, to not ask you where you see craft beer as at at the moment. It's, uh... If you say milkshake, pastry, brute, IPA, <laughs> pastry, sour, yeah, this is this is we'll, not going to air. We'll cut this off. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I think we're um, 
where craft beer is at the moment is uh, there's a bit of an arms race uh, for differentiation, um, and that that's coming through, you know, brand. It's coming through sort of uh, higher potency through hops or through alcohol product. Um, it's it's coming through a whole lot of different angles, but where I've seen success before, uh, you know, is is getting back into the theatre of of craft and the joy of seeing a perfectly presented beer in the right glass. And and, and by that you mean a uh, like a, an oddly shaped glass that you can't see through that's got no head um, as, as a well-presented <laughs> beer? Orange juice, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I, what I mean is uh, I, I sort of, I sort of, uh, I sort of missed the day where, where uh, the, the bartender could sort of talk me through what the product was and, and what it was all about. Um, it, did, it just seems that we're, we're morphing and blending into one sort of homogenous sort of uh, scene at the moment. And, uh, and, and I understand why, because there's so many brewers out there wanting to be different, wanting to do something different and, and make a bigger noise. Um, but I, 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 I reckon it's very vibrant it's it there's a lot of there's a lot of great skill out there um i think we need to be careful about how we market our brands we've got a we've got a license to trade at the end of the day and we've got a responsibility to trade at the end of the day and i think we've got to be cognizant of what we're what we're putting out there from a brand point of view um so that we can continue that license to trade and continue to be the vibrant industry we are and i think I think also for brewers just to take a left turn every now and then and don't necessarily have to join the arms race. Um, do something that you're passionate about and put it out there and, and people will pick it up because you are passionate about it and that's what's great about our scene, I think. Foxy, from a marketing point of view, in that case, and, and put, uh, so putting your, your marketing hat on, and it's, it's not as simple as a yes or no, but if you were to choose... Uh, different beer every week or a core range. What what do you think is, I guess, more sustainable? Oh, I think I think a core, a, a core range, Pete. I think a good a good core range that's that's made well and is consistent. Um, but I think you need to do you need to do that specialist stuff. I don't think it's every week. I think that's 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 sort of uh, that's sort of really blurring blurring the lines and blurring blurring expectations i think championing uh championing the seasons is is what i've always been about um and that that helps you that helps you reinforce your brewery credentials but it also helps in in your core range relativity as well so i'd be i'd be less about doing a different beer every month or every week i'd be concentrating on making the best beer i can making sure the people that actually sell the beer know what they're selling, um, and then then toy around with the weird and wonderful uh, the weird and wonderful stuff when appropriate. There's something that Pete and I you know, are forced um, by realization to uh, keep coming back to, and you know we, we talk about some of these uh, you know popular styles and the evolution of craft beer and the, the evolving strategy, but then we do it through the eyes of people that have been in the industry for a long time, you know, we're over 50, um, you know, and are we just part of a generational movement who is tired of keeping up with what the kids are doing these days? Or, you know, are there sound, do you think there is, that we're just going through a phase where 
people have short attentions. There's so many breweries. There's so much competition for that attention um, that some of the beers that are popular that so many uh, brewers are, are putting out are playing into that or are we seeing a long-term um, style e- evolution i think we're seeing a i think we're seeing a longer st- longer term style evolution to be honest i think i think there's uh there's a move there's a move towards uh um doing the weird and wonderful and that's getting getting people's people's attention into the category and driving people into what we do and hopefully they'll settle on on buying court ranges out of that but but i think at the end of the day that that it's going to be hard to undo and unpick the direction where it's going at the end of the day the consumer wants the social currency of saying i found this beer and i found this weird and wonderful beer and that makes them look you know cool and and uh really insightful to their friends and i, I think that's one of the powerful things that the craft is hooked onto is that that one-on-one connection and and allowing the consumer or the beer drinker to to say oh, I found this and I discovered that and uh, I think it's going to continue down that path. Well, Foxy, I'm I'm certainly hoping that uh, that particular beer will be a beautifully crafted and served in the right glass Munich Hells and um, <laughs> we can we can drink it and uh, uh, toast the health of uh, yourself and Big Helga. Well, mate, the, the beer that we won't be toasting it with uh, is the hazy, uh, and I found a hazy IPA uh, beer name generator. The uh, beer that we won't be toasting it with is the Triple Dry Hop Sublime Space Delusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody's going to come go. out with that now. You know that. <laughs> yeah. The next two weeks. Set the timer. I, that name generator is gold. You can have endless hours of <laughs> <after> that. <laughs> no, mate, here's, here's to simpler times and simpler beers. Uh, absolutely. But uh, it's a look, it's still... Isn't it? Isn't it still a wonderful way to spend your days? Um, you know, make, making some great beer, having some good chats with people, and and doing doing things for the right reasons. Um, I think that's that's what it's cheers to. Absolutely. Well, Foxy, mate, thank you very much, and I'm I, I'm glad there was no terseness in this chat, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, borders opening and having a, uh, a a beer with you. Me too, lads. Many thanks for the chat. Appreciate it. And that was Pete and I chatting with Jamie Fox. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this episode of Beer is a Conversation. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au.